live from the belly of the beast. The so-called belly of the beast. You know what I'm saying? We're going to free the land, inshallah, man. Free Palestine, man. Shout out to all the people. Mm-hmm. Uprising, shout out to the Palestinians. You feel me? Shout out to uh, people who see humanity in the way that humanity should be seen in a positive way, in a good way. You feel me? And we see evil for what it is and we fight evil. You know what I'm saying? So free the land from Oakland to Gaza, man. We consider Hella Black Podcast as our uh, contribution to raising the consciousness as it pertains to folks' understanding of uh, Euro-American imperialism. So we appreciate all our supporters. And like my boy said, from uh, Oakland to Palestine, to Niger, to Burkina Faso, to Ghana, to hey, free the land. Come on, free the land from pan-Europeanism. And the top dog of pan-Europeanism is the so-called United States of America, a settler colony that has no historical, no political reason to exist. So we're going to get into another great episode. But before we do that, you know what I'm saying? We got to uh, pander to you all for support. So uh, go to our Patreon.com slash HellBlackPod, SoundCloud, you feel me, our Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you stream your podcast at, we is there for now until, you know, we, we said Free Palestine too many times. So <laughs> who knows what they're going to try and do, trying to take our platform off, you know what I'm saying? But. Go support the real, you feel me? Uh, tell a friend about the podcast. You know, I challenged people last, I don't know which episode, but hey, just go talk to somebody on the street, tell them to listen to the podcast. You know what I'm saying? We, we need our, our our street soldiers out there pushing mm-hmm. <laughs> pushing the podcast, you know what I'm saying? Pushing the podcast and the program, you know what I mean? But uh, hell black, you know, we got a great episode uh, in store for us today. You know, we got Sanai with us. It's a long time coming. A long time coming. Sanai, how you doing, fam? What's good, Joe? I'm doing well. Happy to be here. Honored, actually. Yeah, it's very dope. I was thinking back, like, earlier today about uh, probably uh, the first time we met. Where we ate at? We ate at, like, Rudy's Camp Fail. It was Rudy's in Emeryville, yep. No, nah, it was the one downtown. Oh, it was downtown? Yeah. Crazy. Uh, I was just reflecting on that. that <laughs> right. I was just reflecting on that and uh, just seeing all the growth, not only from the program, but all, all, all the growth that you've had as well from your... Uh, your fashion design, creation work, uh, the propaganda that you was creating, you know, so uh, very proud of you and all, all that you've accomplished and are going to continue to accomplish. So I just wanted to start off with that. Thank you. Likewise. Yeah, we've been going up both both directions. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, you want to just introduce yourself for the audience, uh, people uh, who might be familiar with you, but, you know, for folks who might not be familiar with you, uh, can you just give a little, you know, uh, a spiel about yourself and, and what you do? For sure. My name is Sanayel Kabalon. Uh, I am an artist, Pan-Africanist. Uh, I'm the creative director of Futurism Studios, formerly Medal Future. Um, I'm from Oakland, California, uh, raised by Panthers. Um, yeah, I, and I love my people and I love what I do. And um, that's about it. Right up. You got to love what you do. Because <laughs> if it ain't, if you ain't in love with you do it, show. And show yeah, absolutely. Because you, you, you have a lot of seriousness to your art. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm juiced because uh, this is my second conversation with you uh, this year. For those who haven't had a chance to check out the interview uh, with myself, uh, Emery Douglas, who was the former Minister of Culture for the Black Panther Party, and Sanai. It's called On Revolutionary Art Revisited. Um, you can check it out at peoplesprograms.com or you can purchase uh, the second 
volume of free to people press on peoplesprograms.com as well. I would highly encourage you to purchase that magazine because it supports the program. And you feel me? 30 years from now, people are going to go, hey, I I had that. And the magazine is fire. Yeah, it's incredible. Hey, and and, uh, I think you and uh, Emery did an amazing job of connecting. uh, Well, y'all do an amazing job of connecting art uh, to movements as it pertains to uh, the new African black liberation movement, uh, the ultimate pan-Africanist movement. And I think for anyone who is wants to be a creative uh, and seeks to impact, you know, the masses of people, that interview gives you some insight as to how you can do that. And if you just want to flourish as a creative too, you know, even if you don't have no altruistic motives, I think it's a, a great uh, interview to check out. I agree. All right. So yeah, let's, let's get into it. Uh, in that first interview, you know, we had a chance to talk about uh, the philosophy um, of your work, especially, especially like futurism. Um, but I think we can use this mo- this moment to really define it for the listeners uh, and folks who, you know, support your work. And so what is the uh, philosophy that drives futurism um, and what led to the transition from um, adult future to futurism? Uh, in a very basic sense, futurism exists to you know, make the world better and express creative ideas. Um, and the philosophy that I think grounds futurism is Pan-Africanism uh, in the sense that we want unity for all African people and, and freedom for all African people uh, across the diaspora. And what that translates to is um, freedom for all oppressed people of the world, uh, because, you know, I believe that we have to lift from the bottom Um, And the kind of tenets of African culture, African world thought, um, and Pan-Africanism are applicable to all other groups of people. Um, And so I feel like if we're winning, if we've got um, our institutions in place that are pushing these ideas, then everybody on the planet will benefit, except for the capitalist bloodsuckers. And, you know, I don't want them to benefit. So... um, that's that's also part of the reason that we um changed i also i started medal future when i was 17 um and my consciousness has evolved since then um my creative kind of work has evolved since then and i'm i'm moving out of just being a clothing brand to being more of a creative studio so you know we've done murals and we do graphic design and we've got a film coming out soon and I will actually be introducing music into the mix uh, with our next collection. And so I just, I needed something to mark that change really for myself as an artist um, so I could let go and I think grow into myself a little bit more. That's dope. How old is you now? I'll be 26 in uh, what, like a month? Okay, that's what's up. Also just graduated from college, you know? Yes, thank you. I graduated from CCA. Uh, with a bachelor's in studio art with an emphasis in what fashion and film in May. Yep. So uh, futurism really represents that, I guess, uh, like the ideological growth um, that is a byproduct of your own uh, understanding of your relation uh, to society and I guess the larger communal relation and uh, national relation to the capitalist empire. Absolutely. And also, people were butchering the name, and I got tired of it. <laughs> people can't pronounce African stuff. And, like, granted, 
de-Africanizing yourself to like a piece of the masses like is nasty. Um, but also, you know, I speak English and the folks that I serve primarily do as well. And so um, making things make sense from a pragmatic standpoint is sometimes just something we have to do. Yeah. How we how we can uh use language to resonate with the masses, but I, I feel you on that. Like it's wild trying to like pronounce different languages, especially like different African languages, knowing that even though thinking about like colonialism and the effects it has, like we are still thinking in English. You know, like exactly. limiting like English is. You know, we was watching this interview uh the other day and it was in arabic and it's like you can't really translate arabic to english very it's it's difficult to do that because the language is so expressive you know what i'm saying and all in different african languages are so expressive that like we almost are in a prison of creativity when we're still thinking in english like we're we're limited by that uh colonial uh prison of language in some ways in terms of our own like way we is thinking to some degree in my opinion i agree i honestly i want my children not to 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 think in English. Yeah, my kids gonna speak English, but they're gonna speak a couple other languages too, inshallah, man. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, doesn't it make sense though in, in a very uh backward and limiting um economic system like capitalism, it will make sense that everything that it produces is limited, mm-hmm. right? Like the average Western citizen is created to function in a limited scope, like just as an entity you're created to be a specific type of worker a specific type of thinking and all that in itself uh, is a byproduct of the rest of arrested development so only a a material thing uh living in arrested development can only create limited things period yes i agree no i still remember when uh Obviously, I think in English, but <laughs> I still remember my first dream when I had like Arabic in my dream. Like that, that was saucy. I was like, whoa, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> uh, but, you know, getting back to your, your story, Sanai, you know, when you was talking about it when you introduced yourself, which was dope, you know. But uh, can you talk about, you know, a little bit more of your family and the long history of being involved in the new African struggle uh, and making contributions through their respective art mediums and how their work in art and movement spaces has impacted you? Uh, in your own journey as a uh, creative artist? Yeah, of course. Uh, the intersection of creativity and revolutionary action has been pretty central to my development and, and the way that I was raised. Uh, both of my parents are artists and educators and revolutionaries. They actually uh, both uh, worked in the All African People's Revolutionary Party together, um, which is, I you know, how their relationship um, flourished. Um, And then my father's parents um, met in the Black Panther Party um, in the San Francisco chapter. Uh, My grandfather doing photography for the party, one of the most prominent photographers of the party actually. And my grandmother working on the Free Huey campaign and the um, breakfast program as well. And they met uh, because she was cooking breakfast one morning, you know, for the program. My grandfather was taking photos for the paper. And he's like, wow, look at that beautiful woman. I got to I got to put her in the paper. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. Um, and so the way that I think um, and the way that I have been able to identify my place in the world and in the global struggle uh, for liberation um, is grounded in that 
And there is no possible, like for me to do something that simply ignores uh, my duty to my people um, or to just, you know, live outside of that just would feel spiritually, I don't know, I think I think I would implode, I would turn to dust. My ancestors would strangle me. My uh, my parents gave me the middle name Osadrifo, which is the title given to Kwame Nkrumah uh, when he liberated Ghana, and it means the Redeemer. And for a long time, I was like, "Damn, like no pressure, like that's that that's a lot." Um, but that burden has become uh, a great honor to me, and I'm learning to balance creating things that bring me joy um, and things that bring about positive change. And that one needn't be sacrificed for the other. That's dope. I think uh, what you represent, I would say, I mean, the three of us on this call, I think what we all represent is what happens when uh, Africans start to have an understanding of themselves through uh, family lineage and heritage, right? Like uh, really understanding what we've, what we've inherited uh, as new Africans, whether it's you understanding your uh your grand your 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 parents your grandparents history and contributions whether it's a boss understanding his his cousins his great grandfather's contributions whether it's me understanding uh, my uncles my great grandfathers my great grandmothers uh, contributions to the struggle once you understand that it kind of provides so much clarity to you and it will make sense why uh, the West has done invested so much in craft crafting a certain history for new Africans uh, and wanting to disconnect us from Africa. Because you recognize that this shit goes way, way back, which is why your parents was involved in the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, uh, which is why you have a middle name of Osajifo, right? Like they, once you start to understand this history, you pretty much only have one duty or you turn your back you on either it. Follow, you, know? you either follow what your name is or you betray what your name is. And then the moments when you're catting off, you say your name and you remind yourself what I am. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's the power of, of, of names. And I think that's why Africans, you know, give their children or children, you know, those, those kinds of names. Yeah. Um, and so I won't say one of the key reasons we wanted to bring you on here was a chance to, you know, highlight your work, but really this, um, this show you're putting on, on the 21st, uh, later this month. And so, uh, can you want to, can you tell us a little bit more about what's going on? Is this, is this a new collection? Is this a, a combination of all your works? So what, what can folks expect? Yeah, for sure. So on the 21st, we're having an exhibition called Workers' Rave Volume 1. And it is a multidisciplinary um, show uh, involving music um, and fashion. And it'll be a runway show. My first runway show in Oakland in, I want to say, like five years. Um, the last show I did was in was in New York. So um, we'll be showing our new collection, which is pretty much an all workwear collection. Um, this is quite honestly the most advanced and biggest project that I've done in my life. Um, I'll also be performing live music at the time. And Workers Rave is a tribute to workers of all trades. It's a tribute to uh, the necessity for their, their rights um, and their due compensation. Um, but it's also a celebration of work itself um, and the kind of ritual labor and repetition uh, that, you know, that we have. I think that in response to, to capitalism, um, 
you can say, oh, well, my work is being stolen. I don't want to work anymore. And depending on what you're doing, that's fine. But uh, for some of us, our work is the most beautiful contribution that we have to the world. And so there's, it's an expanded view of work. It's not just about factory workers. I'm talking about uh, community workers, like, you know, like the work that people's programs does, spiritual workers, uh, folks in ceremony, uh, you know, artwork, uh, every possible thing that you can do, that that sacred bond between you and what you contribute, really celebrating that and creating a, a uniform um, to to achieve it. Yeah, I think that's dope, bro, because one thing uh, Cabral talks about return to the source is like this understanding of being a worker, right, is also being a worker for the revolution. You know what I'm saying? Not the typical... Uh, you know, Marxist Leninist jargon of just being a worker of the proletariat, but now like see yourself as a worker for the revolution. That's part of the work. You feel me? Nairi, Absolutely. Not just you know, a clog in the name. capitalist machine. <laughs> you know, Julius Nairi talk about, hey, we're going to need a lot of hard work. <laughs> we got we to do a lot of hard work. You feel me? If we want to create the society that we want to do. You know, Facts. socialism isn't just the absence of work. Nah, we got to get our, our hands dirty, our feet dirty, our minds dirty for the for the revolution. You wanna know why else I uh I really like what you do as it pertains to fashion? Um, is because people think I would say it's a misunderstanding of the dialectic, it's a misunderstanding of a of uh historical materialism, but you know, people think you can't be a revolutionary and be fly. <laughs> you know, like I think that was one of the biggest things that the Panthers brought was like really? that look. I mean, even Malcolm, you feel me? Like, ain't nobody could wear a suit like Malcolm. Ain't nobody could wear them glasses like Malcolm. Everybody still try to wear them club masters and put their finger on their head like Malcolm. Yeah. Ain't nobody could do that <laughs> like Malcolm. Ain't nobody had that tie like Malcolm. Yeah. You feel me? Like, yeah. And part of the, the the Panthers' whole appeal was shit, the look. Like, they looked cool. And so you can the UNIA. I mean, you know, yeah. Harvey was flamboyant as hell <laughs> yeah they had all those crazy uniforms and stuff i have dreams about you and i uniforms actually <laughs> bro i'll be telling people all the time in college like bro like if you want certain especially the youth to relate to you like you can't be pulling up looking like you just don't give a fuck you feel me like that's and i i mean like period like they're not they're not about to relate to you bro like if you look like you can look fly and you don't got to spend a shit ton of money to do it I mean, part of that, like, oh, yeah. the new African, you feel me, understanding is now you got to present yourself the right way. <laughs> and as Africans, that's that's our heritage. We've been fly for thousands of years. So, like, are we going to stop now for what? I mean, I guess they, you know, they think style is uh, an American concept. Uh, I'll <laughs> be seeing shit like back in the day, you see a, a man Seco Toure, like, drip down, bro. having that shit on him. Yeah, oh, my God. Saying? For real. Yeah. The thobs they was wearing, my man. And I think for new Africans, it's important that, you know, we have something that not this, you know, cliche streetwear that really fucking uh, shit Zionists just benefit from. You look at uh, have you watched the recent shit with Tremaine with Tremaine Emery around uh, him leaving Supreme? I've seen a little bit. I heard that he left and I heard that there are some political reasons why, but I haven't I haven't looked Put into it like it. this. The executive board. Uh, the execs, the CEOs, all this of Supreme are white folks, right? Right. And they're putting out an RBG bubble jacket, a red, black, and green bubble jacket. That's insane to me. You feel me? Like what have what what have what have they done to support the red, black, and green? Right. The same people whose lineage probably probably traces back to the folks that deported Marcus Garvey are now, uh, or were anti-Garvey, anti the UNIA, are now 
running supreme, right? They that, that ideology is what governs supreme. Uh, and so we need something of the people by the people that actually supports, you know, and, and something that uh, is connected to the community, some fly shit that's connected to the community, not these these white brands that give us shit under the guise of culture, under the guise of fashion. Like we do, we do need something to wear that is, that is actually of derivative of uh, the new African, right? The revolutionary culture, not this quote unquote, you know, black culture that has been packaged uh, and delivered to us by Zionist entities like Warner, like Interscope, uh, like BET, like uh, Tubi, right? All these things that are, you know, ultimately ran by the Western uh, monopoly capital. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's why we exist in the first place. Uh, that's why futurism exists. And so, uh, oh, that's something my bad. Yeah, uh, I think something that is very important is how you've kept this thing local, especially in fashion. I, I mean, I know you've heard the sentiment that there's a lack of industry. That's something that just exists in whether you're talking about fashion, music. That's just something that a lot of folks I think use as use as an excuse here in the Bay. Uh, and right, so how has it been building your brand, and uh, what is your experience as it pertains to the quote unquote lack of industry? Do you do you agree with it? How has it uh, held you back, or how has it uh, allowed you to be you know innovative? Yeah, I mean there is a severe lack of industry. There's a talent drain in the Bay Area, um, but I think my experience has been different from many other people's because I'm building a community enterprise. And so my work is grounded in community. It's supported by community. And I'm sorry. I don't know if y'all could hear that behind me. Oh, yeah, we can hear you good, though. Okay. Uh, you know, my work is grounded in community. It's supported by community. And so, you know, my first customers were not folks that were specifically just looking to buy fashion stuff. They were, they were wanting to support the work that I was doing because of what it meant if that makes sense. And so I think that my work has been able to successfully bridge that gap um, in the Bay Area, um, but I've also had to do so um, utilizing community um, connections, help support, uh, whatever kinds of advice that my elders can give me, um, but not necessarily the institutions. So, you know, there's not that many sewing houses up here. There's not a lot of garment distributors up here. There's a good amount of print shops. Um, and I have chosen to work with um, community print shops, uh, print shops that are black or brown owned primarily um, because that's important to me. But I do feel like, you know, and I'm being super transparent that we are approaching a plateau um, that there's only so much that you can achieve as a designer in, in the Bay Area and that you do have to go to these places like New York and Los Angeles and, you know, even Europe sometimes to take your career to the next level. Europe? No. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, I say Europe because um, it's right next to Africa and I'm tired of taking two planes and I got to go to the continent. I want to take one plane <laughs> or, or no plane. Um, but I say all that to say is that, you know, yes, it's it's something to to kind of juggle. 
Um, I do think that we will move at, at some point, but uh, the the cultural and political foundation for my brand and what we stand for is very local. And I'll always center that in my work. But at the end of the day, like I only put Oakland on my clothes because that's where, you know, that's where the Panthers came from. Um, if the Panthers had started someplace else, that would be someplace else. But I'm not one of those people that's so into civic pride that it just becomes my my brand, my personality. I mean, you know, we have to remember that the Bay Area is stolen land and I'm not even supposed to be here. And so the I'll celebrate the the contributions that folks that I love here have made. Um, but that's as far as it goes. I don't know if I answered that question properly. I mean, you gave us uh, your your insight. I would say one thing that my my opinion on some of the you have stated you stated objective facts as it pertains to the limitations around industry, right? Like from my point of view in music management, I would say there's uh, not a lot of you know space, not a lot of uh, like peer spaces that are produced with different set designs, right? Like as it pertains uh, in relation to a Los Angeles or New York, um, there aren't as many stylists, there aren't as many producers, there aren't as many camera folks, there aren't as many uh, equipment rental spots, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I recognize that my, my concern is, an area where I disagree with a lot of people's takes is that you can represent a place while being detached from it. Cause you get a lot of, you know, creatives who say like, oh, I'm doing this for community, but like aren't actually in the community, you know? Right. Uh, right. Like I was just listened to an interview by a filmmaker who's from Oakland, a documentarian who's from Oakland and like, are not from Oakland. He's from the East coast, but you know, lived in Oakland for a very long time, but now is based out of, you know, either New York or LA. And I'm just like, you not here every day. Like you're not actually even seeing these buildings go up over the course of six years. You're not actually seeing the people here. You popping in and out to create these stories or to tell these stories, and you don't really have a you're not a grassroots look at it. You feel me? And so it's like what Amy right. was saying: like, how can one actually be of the people, represent the people if they're not with them? And so, or how can you make that we art? You know, if, if you in the we, if you just claim to, you know, I'm just speaking for folks who claim yeah. to represent a specific yeah. locale, like. Bro was saying he makes films about Oakland for Oakland. And it's like, I, how when you come in here just to shoot for, you know, a few weeks and then you editing somewhere else. You know, no, like, that, that makes you know? complete sense. That makes complete sense. And you, you're you right. There are a lot of, you know, um, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of folks feel like once they get to a certain point in their career that they have to go um, because they can't they can't do it here. Yeah. And you talk about like a talent. uh Drawer, uh, yeah, there's talent a talent train, for real. You know? I mean, you know, not for sure. Is everybody got our, go to LA, our singers are to are gone? Our models are gone. You know, our our producers are gone, and, and it won't like, stop until someone decides. Like, I'm not leaving. Like, how yeah, am I gonna bring this? That, that, how am I gonna build this? Year? That's kind of what stop. I think about too. So now it's like, uh, especially from us coming from like a, a organizational and infrastructure perspective in terms of building out programs for decolonization in Oakland. You know, I think about okay, yes, you might have to go somewhere. Right. You might have to go uh, get these resources from somewhere else, get the skills from somewhere else. But I think like what Delencia is saying, like, OK, if we recognize this talent drain, how are we going to, you know, uh, build infrastructure so that talent drain stops happening? You know what I'm right. saying? Right. Uh, I agree. To where like, people don't feel like, oh, I got to go move to L.A. 
you know what I'm saying? And then they come home and they just ain't feeling, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just a different type of uh, uh, feel, you know? Like, how are we, as people uh, who are creating, who are cultural creators, uh, also going to, you know, uh, obviously we need capital, but how, when we get that capital, are we going to actually invest in our communities to where we feel me? We is actually developing uh, autonomous infrastructure so these parasites of capitalism can't come in and just drain our shit. <laughs> and I, I don't I don't think you can contribute solely by giving capital to the locale. I think you have to be in the co in the locale like a Nipsey was doing, right? Like his thing was like, I'm about to change Crenshaw and I'm going to be in it while I do it. I'm still going yeah, to while I do it, you know? Uh, and then I have a clarifying question, right? So you were saying, and I want to make sure I asked the question correctly. Um, and so if it not correctly, but yeah, I want to make sure I asked the question correctly. Uh, and so if it feels like I'm not hitting the mark, uh, y'all feel free to like kind of edit it. But I want to make sure I was understanding what you're saying. So you were saying you don't want to like limit Maldo, uh, I'm sorry, futurism uh, to the Oakland, to limit it to Oakland, because you see uh, like for ideological reasons, right? Like this not actually even being our homeland, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's one element of it. And then you're saying that you see artists take on like uh i can't remember the exact, the exact term you use but sometimes artists i guess reduce civic pride yeah what was it what was it like a local civic pride you were saying tonight yeah exactly can you explain that a little bit more yeah i mean you know i i don't i respect uh folks that that make things about oakland just for the sake of doing so because they're from here mm-hmm um, but personally, that doesn't mean much to me. The reason why Oakland is valuable to me is because of the community, mm -hmm. um, not just because of the the place. Mm -hmm. um, I love, you know, basketball, but uh, I'm not centering, you know, sports teams and stuff in, in my branding and stuff like that, because what's important to me is our, our communities and community institutions. And I will support um, Oakland um, by way of supporting community and supporting mm -hmm. folks' needs more than anything else, if that makes sense. Because yeah. Futurism Studios, is a, it's a global initiative. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm a Pan-Africanist. I'm not a, you know, Black Oaklandist, if that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, we're definitely going uh, far, far beyond that. Got it. That makes sense. All right. But also, you know, you were talking about the talent drain, um, which, like I said, is a big deal. Um, and part of the work that I, you know, stepped into recently has to do with plugging that up and creating institutions so that folks can get the stuff done here. Um, I recently joined Kingmakers of Oakland to build a fashion program and basically teach design thinking, screen printing, embroidery. Uh, sewing um, and entrepreneurship to primarily black boys in our school system um, so that all of the questions that I had to figure out myself, all of the things I didn't know how to do when I started, I can give those answers to our youth and make sure that we're building a community of folks that are creating, not just for the sake of creating, but creating for the sake of uplifting their people and making the world a better place. And so one of the things that I realized recently, because I had been complaining a lot about the talent drain and stuff like that. And I was like, you can't hate 
on Oakland's fashion scene, if you are Oakland's fashion scene, like until you've done every single thing that you can to make this community, make this industry work, um, you can't complain anymore. So I stopped complaining. And that's why I've got a show on the 21st to show y'all that Oakland's fashion scene can, you know, be as good as, as we make it. Yeah, I think uh, this past question leads up to this next one very well. Um, you know, this concept of artists uh, supporting org organizations came up in the conversation uh, you would have with uh, Delincey and Emery. And in a recent episode we had with uh, Darius, who spoke about the different organizations uh, Miri Baraka was in. You know, so can you speak to why you found it important, um, you know, as an artist, uh, as a creative, as a designer, as a, a, a multifaceted uh, uh, creator um, to support the work of people's programs? Yeah, I think that supporting people's programs is one of the most direct ways that I can bring the ideology that I promote into action. And so people's programs embodies uh, the dream of, of futurism um, and not even not even the dream, because I think the dream is the is when we no longer need a people's programs. But people's programs, I think, represents the, the method to that dream, if that makes sense. And so, you know, when I'm, you know, old and I've taught my children and my grandchildren about, you know, revolutionary thought and revolutionary action they're going to ask me, well, when all of that stuff was happening in your community, uh, what role did you play? And I want to have a good answer for that question. And the the work that People's Programs does um, and the ideology is just, it's, it's, it's on point. Um, there's no kind of divorce between theory and practice. Y'all are on the ground making sure that needs are met and y'all are very strategic and um, knowledgeable. And I think that sometimes folks will want to do something in their communities that they won't study or they won't consult with their elders. Um, but I don't see either of those issues uh, with this particular organization. And so I will support people's programs uh, until it's backwards. One of the I have. So you've supported us a bunch of times, whether it was uh, like digitizing our logo so that we can put it on merch and get these different uh assets created or your contributions to actually designing merch and helping us get it printed shoot our first merch yeah <laughs> or if it was a uh, your participation in the tales of the town tales of the town exhibit um but i think one of the moments it was a small moment where i really appreciated you was when we were at the um the opening weekend to our film screening and art exhibit uh and it was, you know, like a a small group of cadre members there trying to trying to put it together and make it shake. And it was like, you know, the uh was it the 24th hour? What do they call it? What's the expression? The eleventh hour. The eleventh hour. <laughs> uh, you know, it was like a we was a few like an hour or two away, and we was like damn near not even halfway set up. And I was tasked to put one of the posters in the frame. Um, but it needed some like cutting and measuring. And I tell people all the time like arts and crafts is not. I think uh, I'm a creative director in every sense of the word where you, you know, you try to get other people, you help other, you show people your vision and you help guide them towards it and they use their skills to do it. Uh, but anyways, they asked me to take this poster and to put it into the frame, but it was too big for the frame and it needed to be cut. 
And so now I was like helping me and shit. And I was just like, bro, can you just do this, please? So I can go do something else. And he was like, I mean, I came to just drop this off, but yes, I will do this for you. And it was <laughs> a very small gesture, but like bro came to give us something that was probably only supposed to take like two minutes. Uh, and he stayed and bust down and, and got dirty and, and I I don't know, maybe we wouldn't even have made our timeline and we wouldn't have made the timeline if, if it wasn't for your help. So I, that was like a very small testament of um your support, honestly. Again, there have been oh, all these grand you. gestures, but that one when I was like, no, I can't I, even I, lie. I, I My schedule was crazy that day. Yeah. Too. <laughs> I was like, I but, fuck with bro. I fuck with you, feel me? you know, I think that whatever you have to offer, you know, obviously, you know, with with sustainability in mind, you you gotta you gotta put it in. And so if you've got the skill to do something and there's a need, you know, what they say, uh from from each according to their ability to each according to their need. And I had the ability. Uh so as long as I have the ability, I will uh I'll show up the best that I can. That's what's up, bro. So up to date, what do you feel like has been your most important creative contribution? I know that's probably a hard thing to do. I know I saw this question and I was like, I have no clue how I'm gonna answer this. Um, but if I'm being honest, I think the mural on 14th Street. Uh, the future is black mural, I think might be my favorite. And most folks don't know me as a muralist. I, you know, I, I'm not a big painter. I'm more of a director. Um, but that particular piece was on a wall that I walked by and drove by every day for about a decade. It was blight. And um, was given the opportunity to put something really beautiful there. Got to work with my family. Uh, my father was lead artist on that project. And um, we just, we, we created a tribute to uh, the future and the Black family and our role in sustaining the environment. Um, and it's just a dope, massive, what, 117 feet long, uh, 2,500 square feet or so. Um, and I know that that's something I hope that will outlive me um and it's 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 a transformation of my community that that you can very much see you know it's nice when you get to see the clothes go around and stuff but something about something literally being in stone um feels good i'm really excited about um uh, what you got coming up and especially this show on the 21st i brought i bought the you know front row tickets man i'm i'm excited to see it Oh, for sure. You're going to love it. You specifically. There's like a bunch <laughs> of cropped work shirts in here. Oh, and, yeah. But I was designing I mean like, yeah, Delinsa going to love this. <laughs> Appreciate you, fam. And uh, good luck with everything. Uh, I echo Abbas's sentiments from the, the beginning of the episode. Um, I, mean, I haven't known you as long, but again, the you know, three or four years that we've been working closely together, I've seen the growth and I'm I'm grateful. Uh the opportunities I get to collab with you and I really appreciate the work that you do and value it as well. I appreciate y'all. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, appreciate you. And thank so you for good. what you do in our community as well. Oh, it's all good. We're going to keep building brick by brick. For sure. All right. Peace. Peace.